Hello, hello, and welcome again to Nostalgia Death Trip 2000. In this episode, I'll be talking about Steve Beck's 2001 film, 13 Ghosts. The producers of House on Haunted Hill invite you to a special house. This place is awesome! With glass walls that move. It's all sealed up. And the dead just down the hall. We got company! We should get the hell out of here! Now! Hell, hell. The gang's all here. Thirteen ghosts. 13 Ghosts is the second film released under the imprimatur of Dark Castle Entertainment. Uh, Dark Castle Entertainment is a film production company that was formed in 1998 with the expressed intention of remaking the films of William Castle. Uh, William Castle was a horror filmmaker from the late 50s and early 60s who uh, made such films as which you will probably know from their Dark Castle Entertainment remakes, uh, The House on Haunted Hill and uh, 13 Ghosts. Um, To my understanding, uh, William Castle was a pretty interesting fellow. He was most famous for the various promotional gimmicks he used to market his films, such as uh, rigging up theaters to have a fake skeleton with glowing red eyes zip over the audience on wires, or uh, rigging up theater seats with vibrating devices to scare audiences by vibrating them, or uh, in the case of 13 Ghosts, the uh, source material for today's film providing the audience with glasses with colored lenses that would allow them by looking through either lens to see ghosts on screen during uh, certain scenes. Um, I haven't seen any of the old William Castle movies, so I can't say whether or not they're any good, but uh, you do have to give the man credit for uh, treating the rarefied medium of cinema as basically a haunted hayride where skeletons pop out at you. Uh, the thousands of people seeing whatever new Marvel movie in 40X so that they can uh, actually feel Captain America spit in their mouth or whatever are uh, only a testament to uh, William Castle's foresight. Um, anyway, let's uh, get to uh, 13 Ghosts. Uh, 13 Ghosts was the directorial debut of Steve Beck. Uh, prior to 13 Ghosts, uh, Steve Beck was primarily a director of commercials Uh, And he would only make one other movie, uh, 2002's Ghost Ship, which is another Dark Castle Entertainment production. Uh, 13 Ghosts was written by Neil Marshall Stevens, who would go on to write one of the direct-to-video sequels to Hellraiser, uh, Hellraiser Deader from 2005. That's uh, Deader as in more dead. And uh, he also wrote the screenplay for... Puppet Master Axis Termination, which I don't really know anything about. Uh, to my understanding, the Third Reich figures pretty prominently in the mythos of the Puppet Master movies. So uh, it probably has to do with that based on the title. So, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, honestly, rather unspectacular writer and director pair stands in stark contrast to the fairly stacked cast of this movie which includes F. Murray Abraham, who you probably know from White Lotus Season 2 as the horny Italian dad of Christopher Moltisanti, 
or his uh, Oscar-winning performance as the 18th century composer uh, Antonio Salieri in Amadeus. Uh, we also have uh, Tony Shalhoub from that TV show Monk about the uh, detective with OCD or uh, whatever that show is about. Uh, I don't really have a strong opinion on Tony, Tony Shalhoub uh, other than that he has a very funny name, which is kind of a combination of Shalom and Shalub. Uh, you got uh, Matthew Lillard, of course, from Scream and uh, his wonderful performance in Twin Peaks, The Return. And uh, Shannon Elizabeth from uh, Scary Movie, American Pie 1, American Pie 2, uh, American Reunion, which is American Pie 3, and uh, most importantly, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Uh, One more thing before I get into the plot of 13 Ghosts. Uh, The title of 13 Ghosts is often styled as uh, Thur, T-H-I-R, then the number one, the number three, as in 13, then E-N, ghosts, with uh, the numbers one and three standing in for T and E, so that the title read literally is uh, Thir-13-Een, ghosts. <laughs> so uh, they're clearly trying to go for the thing they did with uh, David Fincher's Seven, which is styled as S-E, the number seven, E-N. Um so yeah, so uh, 13 Ghosts begins with uh, F. Murray Abraham as Cyrus Criticos, uh, a kind of a rich debonair adventurer type, and uh, Matthew Lillard as uh, Dennis Rafkin, a psychic medium of some sort who uh, works for Criticos, uh, and they're leading a crew of ghost hunters into a junkyard. Um the name Cyrus Kritikos sounds like a Greek name to me. Uh, not really sure what that's about. Uh, trying to do the Greek pronunciation, but um, you know it's not really important. Anyway, they're in the junkyard to locate and capture a ghost, which is basically what they do. Matthew Lillard leads Cyrus to ghosts with his psychic abilities, and uh, Cyrus traps them in what is called a containment cube, which is basically just a big glass cube. And uh, so you have some great lines where F. Murray Abraham is like, bring out the cube and power up the cube. And uh, while all this uh, cube business is going on, uh, Matthew Lillard is being assailed by visions of ghoulish faces. And uh, you learn uh, as a psychic, he receives his visions both ambiently and by touching the body of a person. So at some point he touches F. Murray Abraham's arm And he sees a vision of a pile of money, which uh, indicates that, you know, this uh, this Cyrus fella, he might not be in the ghost hunting business for the right reasons. Um, A suspicion that is shortly confirmed by the appearance of two people who I I don't really know how else to describe them other than like ghost civil rights activists. Uh, They show up and try to disrupt the ghost hunt. And one of them says, capturing ghosts is slavery. Uh, anyway, in order to lure the ghost, uh, they have a tanker truck drive through the junkyard and spray blood all over the place. This is one of my favorite things in the whole movie, this tanker truck that sprays blood. It's only like a second of the movie, but I just adore that. And if this movie was more about the truck or if the the whole movie was about the truck, like about a tanker truck that runs on blood and sprays blood 
and uh, it was called like Blood Truck or something. Um, I think that was just terrific. So anyway, the, the Blood Truck is spraying blood to lure the ghost. And sure enough, the ghost shows up and starts killing everybody. You know, guys are getting yanked into the air. Uh, blood is splattering on windshields. One guy gets folded in half and sucked into the hood of a car, which is cool. And uh, in brief flashes, we see this ghost that uh, they refer to as the Breaker. And he's like a tall, muscular guy with uh, typical ghostly features, uh, like chalky, white, rotting face, uh, tattered prison uniform. And um, yeah, they manage to trap the ghost in the containment cube. But we find out that Cyrus has uh, been killed in the process. Uh, His throat has been slit and uh, he's dead. So uh, moving on to the next scene, we are introduced to Tony Shaloub, who is this uh, math teacher who we understand was uh, once living in domestic bliss, but who is now depressed because his wife recently died in a tragic house fire. And there's like past due bills pinned all over the walls. And his daughter, uh, who's played by Shannon Elizabeth, is kind of holding the family together. And uh, the youngest son, Bobby, is like a weirdo who is reading the newspaper's crime blotter into a tape recorder. Uh, He's basically a uh, true crime podcaster. So, uh, you know, this child is on a bad path. (laughs) And he's like, Dad, did you hear they found a decapitated body behind Dunkin' Donuts? And Tony Shalhoub was just like, oh, I love Dunkin' Donuts. Just just totally checked out. Um, And they also have a, a black nanny named Maggie. Uh, portrayed uh, by Ra Digga, who you may know as a rapper. She was uh, a member of Busta Rhymes' Flip Mode squad uh, with the likes of uh, Papoose and uh, Rock Marciano. And she, uh, you know, provides sassy comic relief. So the whole family's having breakfast, and the little kid Bobby is talking about decapitated corpses and calling his sister uh, a slut for some reason. It's, uh, it's a pretty sordid scene, you know, the family is in bad shape, uh, they're dysfunctional, and uh, it all comes to a head when Tony Shalhoub trips over Bobby's Razor scooter, spills coffee all over himself, and, and all the grief and anger just explode out of him, he starts yelling at everyone, and I mean, in the early 2000s, a father tripping over a Razor scooter was probably the catalyst for the uh, disintegration of countless families. Um, anyway... Just at this moment, a uh, character by the name of Ben Moss shows up at their door and identifies himself as the estate lawyer for Cyrus Criticos, who we learn is the estranged uncle of Tony Shalhoub. Uh, The lawyer shows them a video message Cyrus has left for Tony Shalhoub, in which it's revealed that he's left his mansion to him and his family. And of course, everyone's all excited, like all their money troubles are over, they just got a mansion. And the lawyer's like, hey, you know, I'll drive all of us out to this remote mansion. So uh, they get to the mansion. And I got to say, the mansion itself uh, has a pretty cool design. It's what uh, Al Pacino's character in Heat would call a uh, bullshit postmodernistic house. It's like all glass walls and the glass has Latin inscriptions all over it. And there's copper inlays and artifacts like samurai swords and astrolabes and there's all these various gears and dials with cryptic symbols on them it kind of has a uh, microsoft encarta aesthetic if you're familiar with that you know it kind of looks like something out of mist or a point and click adventure game 
So the family is exploring the house and uh, Matthew Lillard's character shows up uh, in disguise as an electrician. And uh, it seems he's there to find out some money that Cyrus owes him or something. But uh, he starts getting, uh, you know, psychic visions of various ghoulish uh, visages. And he uh, puts on these glasses that uh, apparently let you see ghosts. And it turns out that uh, no fewer than 12 ghosts are imprisoned in glass containment cubes in the basement of the house. And, uh, you know, the variety of ghosts is a big draw of this movie. So, you know, we see one that's like a 50s greaser with a baseball bat. Another one is a, a little boy in a cowboy outfit with, a, with an arrow through his forehead. Uh, another one is like a sexy naked woman with a knife and uh, really fake tits and bloody slashes all over her body. And, uh, you know, upon making this realization that the house is full of ghosts, Matthew Lillard's conscience demands that he drop his disguise and uh, warn Tony Shalhoub and his family. And there's like a funny scene where he's like, I'm not, I'm actually not an electrician. I'm a guy who worked with your uncle to hunt spiritual energies. And he's like, you know, spiritual energies, PK agents. How about wraiths? And finally he's like, okay, uh, I'll put it the easy way. I hunt ghosts. And it's just like, I don't know. It's just funny that he would say wraiths before ghosts. Like, uh, why would you say wraith first? <laughs> anyway, he's like, we got to get everyone out of the house. Um, so while all this is going on, the lawyer has wandered off somewhere and found a leather case full of money. Uh, he picks it up, inadvertently releasing a pedal that sets various gears and pulleys in the house into motion, including some kind of bizarre contraption that's like a tower of uh, interlocking gears and spinning rings. And then, uh, you know, metal shutters close all over the house, sealing everyone in. And of course, all the ghosts are released from their uh, containment cubes. So now we get uh, our first really good kill in the movie, which is that the uh, naked girl with a knife ghost starts approaching the lawyer and the lawyer is backing away from her. And all of a sudden, boom, glass doors close on him, slicing him in half uh, lengthwise. So he's basically cut the way you would like split a loaf of bread to make a, a sub sandwich. He's not cut in half at the waist. He's cut in half along the entire length of his body. So like his glasses fall off, then his tie falls off, and then the whole front half of his body slides down the glass, revealing a uh, cross-section of the back half of his body. And you can see, like, the back half of his brain and his eye sockets. Uh, you know, the really classic movie strategy of reserving the most gruesome death for the sleazy lawyer character. Like, no one's going to feel bad about that dude dying in a miserable way. But it's, it's a great kill, uh, really probably the most memorable scene of the movie, certainly an incredible thing to witness as a young kid, uh, such as I was when I first saw this movie. And, you know, you don't, you don't really get a lot of people getting sliced in half lengthwise in movies, and, and that's a shame. Uh, 13 Ghosts is notable for this alone. The only other example that comes to mind is in the Jennifer Lopez movie, The Cell, which maybe I'll do an episode on. Uh, Anyway, in that movie, there's a scene where a horse gets cut into slices by a series of glass panels. But, you know, it's it's a horse, uh, not a lawyer. So, like, you feel bad. And for, for, for what it's worth, it's a direct reference to um, the uh, work of the British artist Damien Hirst, who did a bunch of art installations of, like, 
slices of dissected animals and formaldehyde. I mean, you know, really stupid shit. Anyway, he's like one of the richest artists in the world or something. But yeah, you know, I mean, why go to a museum when you can just watch uh, 13 goats and you're not even hurting a horse? Uh, anyway, so now the ghosts are loose and the threat of being cut in half or some other worst fate is now very frighteningly real. Um, at this point, the plot of the movie gets pretty convoluted in a way that's annoying to recount. Uh, the little boy, Bobby, disappears, and uh, Matthew Lillard and Tony Shalhoub and uh, the daughter and the nanny just stumble around and run into various ghosts while the nanny is like, I've got to get a pay raise for this. Uh, but you get to see all these pretty cool ghosts. So there's a ghost that's uh, a severed head wrapped in plastic uh, with a headless torso crawling around. There's a, a woman in a colonial garb with her head and hands and wooden stocks. She's like a witch or something. There's a ghost that's like a dwarf woman with a giant grown man baby wearing a bib and a diaper. And the bib is all uh, encrusted with vomit. And, uh, you know, presumably the diaper is correspondingly encrusted with uh, diarrhea or whatever. But, uh, you know, the movie is too tasteful, so it doesn't show that. Um and there's also another ghost of a woman. Uh, she's like in a prom dress and her head does the horror movie thing where, you know, her head moves really fast and like blurs and jitters and stuff. Uh, if you don't know the effect I'm talking about, it's uh, it's sometimes referred to as the demonic head shake. Uh, you see this all the time in horror films, uh, especially of this era. It's uh, generally credited to the movie Jacob's Ladder from uh, 1990. But uh, the earliest instance I've ever encountered it is in the uh, short film Ghost by the Japanese experimental filmmaker Takashi Ito from uh, 1984, which I highly recommend. It's uh, on YouTube and it's like 10 minutes long. Anyway, so yeah, there's ghosts all over the place. Uh, the little boy Bobby is missing and everyone's looking for him and uh, surprised at some point. Cyrus uh, reappears, uh, F. Murray Abraham's character, and he reappears and he has a slashed throat and it seems like he is one of the ghosts. Uh, perhaps it's him who's the 13th ghost because as I mentioned, there's only 12 ghosts so far. And you know, the whole time Matthew Lillard is wearing a uh, suit jacket with a red paisley shirt and just being really smug and ironic about the plight of the family, you know, making quips and whatnot. So, of course, at some point, they all split up to uh, cover more ground, uh, classic strategy. And uh, Matthew Lillard meets yet another ghost who's like a jacked black dude who's riddled with the railroad spikes, which is pretty cool. He's like evil John Henry. But, you know, I mean, it's all pretty goofy. A lot of the scares hinge on the fact that you can only see the ghost with uh, the ghost glasses and half the characters don't have them. So there's a lot of like, whoa, 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 look behind you. You know, it's it's very Scooby-Doo. And uh, perhaps not coincidentally, Matthew Lillard would go on to play Shaggy in the Scooby-Doo movie the following year. So uh, at some point, uh, Shannon Elizabeth is attacked by a ghost with uh, long hair and sharp teeth and uh, an iron cage around its head that we learn is uh, known as the Jackal and who is described as uh, the Charlie Manson of ghosts. Uh, okay. And, uh, since the ghosts are invisible, except for when you're wearing the glasses, when Shannon Elizabeth gets attacked by the jackal, you see like bloody claw marks appear on her face out of nowhere. And of course her shirt rips open and like her tit flops out. And this is when one of the ghost civil rights activists from the beginning shows up 
and starts throwing flares that uh, apparently deter the ghosts. They're deterred by flares. So the ghost rights activist is named Kalina, and she does a big exposition drop where she explains that the house is a machine based on the design of some 15th century occult magician, and the ghosts are just part of uh, a plan to operate this machine. And uh, she has a great line where she says, uh, we're in the middle of a machine designed by the devil and powered by the dead. So uh, with the help of uh, Matthew Lillard and Kalina, the ghost rights activist, the uh, whole group barricades themselves in the library. And then Matthew Lillard and Kalina get into an argument because Matthew Lillard is like the opportunistic ghost hunter for hire. And Kalina is the idealistic ghost social justice warrior. And she's like, you stole people's ghosts for money. And uh, this is where there's a big twist because it turns out that uh, the fourth ghost is uh, Tony Shalhoub's dead wife. Um, so now we get even more exposition, which is that the 12 ghosts represent uh, what's called the Black Zodiac, which is uh, constituted of uh, these archetypes. Um, the firstborn son, the torso, the bound woman, the withered lover, who is Tony Shalhoub's dead wife, uh, the torn prince, the angry princess, the pilgrimess, the great child and the dire mother, the great hound, the hammer, the jackal, and the juggernaut. And um, I actually really like uh, stuff like this, you know, all like their na their names and stats, because I just like, you know, like the list of enemies you find in strategy guides for video games. You know, that's that's cool to me. So anyway, you know, we learned Cyrus is planning to harness the ghost energy of the Black Zodiac to power the machine, which will open uh, something that's called the Ocularis Inferno, which they say is Latin for the eye of hell, which is some kind of portal that sees all the future and the past, like all reality and knowledge. And they're like, whoever controls the Ocularis Inferno will be the most powerful man on earth. And it's also revealed that um, the 13th ghost is actually a failsafe to stop the activation of the machine. Basically, if you jump into the machine and kill yourself, uh, thereby becoming the 13th ghost, it stops the machine. And uh, Tony Shalhoub realizes that in order to save his children, he will need to sacrifice his own life. Um, anyway, so once again, they all split up for some reason. Uh, Matthew Lillard gets killed by one of the ghosts. And uh, Kalina goes off and meets Cyrus, who isn't a ghost and is actually alive and just wearing a prosthetic slit throat to appear like a ghost. And in another twist, Kalina is actually in cahoots with Cyrus. They kiss because I guess they're lovers. And he's like just being mean to her. And she's like, are you mad at me? It's just, it's really sad to see. I mean, it's just unbelievable. She's supposed to be this idealistic ghost rights activist. And, you know, she's a traitor to the ghost rights movement. Um, and also it turns out this whole thing about the 13th ghost committing suicide as being a way to stop the Ocularis Inferno. Uh, well, that, that turned out to be a lie. And actually, they're trying to trick Tony Shalhoub into killing himself to become the 13th ghost, which would actually activate the Ocularis Inferno. Um, so uh, Cyrus starts playing this recording of a containment spell over speakers throughout the house. And the, the spell forces the ghost to appear at the, uh, at the ocularis. Um, at this point, he just traps Kalina between two glass doors and uh, crushes her to death because uh, he doesn't need her anymore or something. 
And uh, Tony Shalhoub's son and daughter appear, and uh, they're tied up on a platform in the middle of these spinning concentric rings. And uh, they're encircled by all the ghosts. And Tony Shalhoub is, is going to kill himself by throwing himself into these spinning rings because that's what he thinks he has to do to save them. But then Cyrus appears, and, and Tony Shalhoub removes the ghost glasses and realizes that Cyrus is not a ghost, but in fact, very much alive. Uh, and, you know, he he rushes Cyrus, and, and Cyrus beats him up with his cane, and he has this speech that's like, the world needs people who are willing to do anything, anything for greatness, uh, you know, really really tapping into the uh, uh, Salieri performance from Amadeus. <laughs> You know, at this point, the uh, the nanny shows up and begins to mess with the boards of the sound system playing the containment spells. And, you know, it sounds like like record scratches, you know, like she's a DJ, which is supposed to be funny because the actress is actually a rapper. Uh, anyway, by doing this, the ghosts are freed and they all descend on Cyrus and throw him into the rings of the machine, dismembering him. And at this point, the ghost of Matthew Lillard appears, and he encourages Tony Shalhoub to save his family. And uh, Tony Shalhoub sees that at certain intervals, the spinning rings encircling his children stop to align and flatten, allowing Tony Shalhoub a brief moment to leap over them, to uh, get to his kids and to shield them, you know, very video game. Uh, so he does. He, he leaps over to his kids to shield them as the machine self-destructs and the house explodes. And um, so now that the family is reunited, uh, the ghost of the mother appears and we hear a voice saying, I love you guys. I love you all before disappearing. And then the last scene is just the nanny stumbling through the rubble of the house and being like, this is not my job. I quit, you know, cut to black uh, needle drop of Rod Digga's uh, song Mirror Mirror, which I believe uh, was recorded specifically for this movie. Uh, but the lyrics don't really correlate to the movie or its themes very much, uh, as far as I can tell. It's not like Men in Black or Wild Wild West. Um, I do think it's pretty funny to end the movie with the nanny just being like, I need to quit my job. And I can imagine that some people might feel uncomfortable with the character of a sassy black nanny that saves the day with her DJ skills and is always saying she needs to quit her job. Like... Yeah, I could understand how that could be understood as, let's say, a bad look. And it reminds me of the people who claimed that the depiction of Ernie Hudson's character in Ghostbusters is kind of racist because in the scene where he interviews for the job of Ghostbuster, he's like, if there's a steady paycheck, you know, I'll believe in whatever ghouls or goblins you tell me to. You know, just someone who's like, yeah, you know, I'll care about your bullshit as long as you pay me. Um, I just think that's every job. I don't think that that's like a unique or racially specific stance to take on a job at all. So yeah, you know, at the end of 13 Ghosts, when Maggie the Nanny is like, fuck this job, like, absolutely fuck this job. Tony Shalhoub is a broke math teacher. You know, he has like past due bills all over the walls. There's no way this guy is paying her a decent rate. And now she's dealing with ghosts and like ocularis infernos. Like, fuck that. You know, one thing that I will give credit uh, 13 go uh, give 13 ghosts credit for is that uh, despite how convoluted the plot and the mythos of the movie is uh, the primary motivation for basically everyone is money um, you know the family is broke and they need money the basic dynamic is that this rich dude needs to exploit this poor family to get even richer and in that way there's uh, an identification between the family and the ghosts who are also being exploited to literally run the machine and I mean, Tony Shalhoub's wife is, is literally one of the ghosts. 
so there's there's this uh, political theorist, uh, Achille Membe, and he's known for this concept of uh, necropolitics, which is a very cool name for a concept. And basically, you know, the concept is this idea of the generalized instrumentalization of human existence and the material destruction of human bodies and populations. You know, that's what necropolitics is. It's the politics of deciding who lives and who dies and how much life and how much death uh, the living and the dead are allowed. Um, in 13 Ghosts, it's very explicit. The ghosts are slaves, as the ghost rights activist points uh, out rightfully in the beginning. And many of the ghosts are explicitly drawn from you know groups that often do face oppression. Uh, they're women, they're black, they're children, they're incarcerated, uh, you know, they're neurodivergent or differently abled. And uh, whatever they are, they're being transformed into these avatars, into these symbols of the black zodiac, these archetypes, in order to power a machine that can see all the future and the past and so on. And so the Ocularis Inferno is really a kind of surveillance apparatus that's run not only on human suffering in the form of the ghosts, but also on the basis that human suffering is homogenized and categorized into different types, you know, the archetypes of the black zodiac. Uh, so, you know, to put a nice bow on it and, uh, you know, sound the alarm because something topical is about to be said, but, you know, it reminds me of the basic structure and function of social media. If there was ever a machine to harness ghost energy to see the future, I mean, it's the internet. And it's through the aggregation of uh, our ghost energy, the residual information of our personal and emotional lives that is, of course, uh, algorithmically refined into archetypes, which are called consumer profiles. Uh, it's through this process that reality, uh, all past and all future and such things are not only surveilled, but uh, predicted and determined. And this idea that the only way to stop the machine is to sacrifice yourself, that the only way out is suicide. Like, no, that's a trick. That's exactly what they want you to do. The only way out isn't suicide. The only way out is the liberation of the ghosts so they can gang up and kill the man who has all the money, who put everybody in this position, you know? Um, pretty revolutionary sentiment. I mean, to quote the movie, aren't we all just in the middle of a machine designed by the devil and powered by the dead? And it's like, you know what? Fuck this job. <laughs>